I'm Don Keogh, president of the Coca-Cola Company. When we brought you the new taste of Coke, we knew that millions would prefer it, and millions do. And we knew that it would beat the taste of our major competitor, and it does. What we didn't know was how many thousands of you would phone and write asking us to bring back the classic taste of original Coca-Cola. Well, we read and we listened, and you know the rest. They're both yours, the new taste of Coke and Coca-Cola Classic. Your right of choice is back. Let's ask ourselves, and then what? As we look around us, and maybe especially right now, even this week perhaps, it may feel like hope has left the building. Failure's a popular topic these days. We're encouraged to fail early, fail often, fail soon, so that we can succeed better. But what about those catastrophic failures, the big earth-shattering mistakes, and especially the failures that seem beyond our control, where the failure happened because of someone else? Now, I don't mean mistakes that are stumbling blocks. I mean one of those fall-on-your-face, crack-your-skull-open failures. One of those failures where there is no, oh, that was an interesting data point, failure. I mean AOL-buying Time Warner failure. I mean Richard Nixon saying, oh, yeah, tape recorder in the office, that's a great idea, failure. I mean an Edsel failure. I mean failures that happen to you where it seems like hope has, yeah, left the building. When we look out at the horizon after one of those kinds of failures, it can seem like there's nothing we can do. Hopeless. So we withdraw. Or we get angry and we blame others and we pull back. We withdraw. We can get apathetic and disassociate ourselves with whatever comes next. It's not my problem. I didn't do it. Somebody else made that happen. Therefore, I'm going to ignore it. We withdraw. And instead of withdrawing with getting angry, becoming despondent, or allowing ourselves to become apathetic, the way forward is to dive in. One of the ways we often talk about becoming successful is to begin with the end in mind. Envision success and work backward to understand the steps that will be necessary to find the path to that vision of success. But sometimes after a failure, a catastrophic failure, visioning success seems, well, hopeless. We can't even see what it would look like. So one of the things that we can do is ask, and then what? We ask ourselves, what should we do next? And then ask, well, okay, and then what? Maybe it's this. Well, okay, and then what? Well, maybe then it's that. Well, okay, and then what? And we start building new paths toward an unknown success. Asking, and then what, will inform you at some part of your path you might be relying on only hope. And yeah, hope, that's not the path forward. Hope is important, it's vital, it's maybe, as Andy Dufresne said, the greatest thing, but hope is not a strategy. And that's the theme of our show this week. When things look rough, hopeless, it's important for not only being hopeful, but to engage, to move forward, and ask, and then what? And now it's time for us to move forward and ask, now what? And for you, now and perhaps maybe even more importantly this week, we should remember what Norman Vincent Peale wrote. When God wants to send you a gift, he wraps it up in a problem. The bigger the gift, the bigger the problem. And you can only find the gift if you persist enough and fight through and engage. You ready to stop focusing on the problem and focusing on the gift? Well, then let's roll.
Today's episode is sponsored by the good folks at Presley. It's no secret that sales and marketing departments have a complex relationship. Each has entirely different objects, workflows, and methods of measuring performance. But these departments also share the same essential need. Both require the right content at the right time in order to do their jobs. Presley's Starter's Guide to Sales Enablement dives into how you can align sales and marketing and start building conversion-focused content today. Download the Starter's Guide to Sales Enablement at cmi.media slash pnr166. That's cmi.media slash pnr166. And thanks again to Presley for making today's episode possible. And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 166 of PNR's This Old Marketing. Recorded Sunday, January 15th, 2017. And with me, as always, is my co-host, my colleague, my friend, and the biggest gift of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? I hear uh, I hear great things are afoot with the award-winning Joe oh, Polizzi. Oh, jeez. I wasn't necessarily going to bring it up, but now that you brought it up, <laughs> yeah, it was... <laughs> It was really nice. I mean, as we record this, I just returned back from Sandusky, and uh, I was blessed enough. They they uh, elected me into my high school Hall of Fame, St. Mary's Central I love, Catholic. I, first of all, I love the fact that there is a Sandusky High School Hall of Fame. I mean, come on. <laughs> and the fact that you're in it is so wonderful. I have this. I have visions of Peggy Sue got married in my head. Oh, my gosh. It was So eight were inducted this year, and... What was really nice is, I mean, I, I did a very short speech, and I thanked two people, talked about two people that were influential in my life, because as I do acceptance speeches, I don't really, I mean, you're not supposed to talk about yourself, right? You're supposed, supposed to talk of about course. some other people. Uh, all some, the people who, all the people you stepped on on the yeah. way <laughs> coming into the, into the Hall of Fame. Boy, I fooled that one. Um, <laughs> but I talked about two people, and it was really cool because in 2010, my grandfather, F. Leo Groff, who you've heard me talk about before, he uh, was inducted into the same Hall of Fame. Uh, he'd already passed away by that oh time. Oh, my gosh. So that was seven years ago, six years ago. I'm sorry. He was he was the 2010 class. He was uh, the the nomination or the 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 whole thing happened in 2011. And I so I talked about him and being an influence on my life. And then I also talked about my English teacher in high school, Gary Kelly, who is nominated, who um, was in the Hall of Fame in 2015. And I talked about how. He really got me into writing and to go after writing. And I talk about this little thing that he told me. And I said, I'm sure Mr. Kelly doesn't remember this, but I was very interested in writing. And I didn't know if I had what it takes or the passion. And he said, Joe, if this is what you want to do, embrace it. Give everything you can to it or don't. So either, you know, go. We just talked about this before the call. Either it's, you know, that decision, that's a, that's a heck yes. You're going to give everything right. you can to it. Or make the decision not to. Either way, make the decision. Don't go in the middle. Don't dabble, as we uh, talk about. That's that's good advice. So that's really great advice. Yeah, I mean, that's what I thought. I mean, as as you know, I mean, you and I are sort of uh, of the same ilk, where we write almost every day. I mean, writing is part of what we do, 
And, sure. Uh, so that was nice. It was it was wonderful to be part. And my, the, oh, the best thing was my dad uh, introduced me to oh, the award. That's just it, awesome. It was a that's, it was a wonderful. It was one of those evenings, a kumbaya evenings with is, my mom and dad. It was that is was as, nice. as midwestern heartwarming of a scene as I can possibly imagine. <laughs> so the only thing missing is a big old slather of warm apple pie and some ice cream and. Some good old fashioned lemonade to wash it down. Yeah, they had they had pecan pie if that makes sense. <laughs> <All right, laughs> Excellent. That's awesome. Well, and I and so thank you. And then I feel bad recording this now because your cowboys just did the best they could. But yeah, well, let's not talk about that. We won't let's. Talk I mean, about yeah, it. They, it was a, it was a it was a great season, and they're a team on the rise. So I'm I'm happy to still call myself a fan, and uh, and uh, we'll see. You know, it should be an exciting it should be exciting championship on both sides of the ball. I'd take Dak Prescott any day of the week. Yeah. So there, there, you, there go. you go. Shall we? Uh, what are we Shall on? We is this on, what is this episode? One sixty six. One sixty six. My God! Believe for those that. of you who listen Just to all absolutely. episodes, you deserve some kind of award. Apple pie, yeah. warm lemonade, <laughs> and some election into apple the hall pie of a la mode for you, my friend. <laughs> All right. Well, the top story in our show uh, this week comes to us courtesy of Media Post, and the headline here is content marketing and native advertising will become more effective this year. Well, I'm glad they pronounced that. Um, the article opens up by saying Lon Otremba, uh, the CEO of Bidtelect, which... I'm going to take Lon uh, to, to the barn with that name of that. Anyway, <laughs> a native advertising platform used by marketers. Step back to offer his thoughts on how native advertising and content marketing will evolve this year. Otremba suggests four trends he feels will become commonplace in 2017, then outlines these four trends. And I thought they would be a good thing for us to discuss. He talks about connecting with content is, and how it's more effective than advertising and optimizing landing pages, large brands developing content marketing initiatives and great technology, not being able to overcome bad content. And I thought there were some interesting trends here. I, I, I liked the positivity of it. What did you think about this? Well, first of all, the, the headline's kind of a low bar. Let's, let's just yeah. start right there. <laughs> So, <laughs> right. Well, like it's go. okay. Yeah. Native advertising is going to be more effective than regular advertising. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Let's, right. let's, yeah. Uh, Buzzfeed article headline. It is not. It yeah. is, it is definitely not a, uh, it is not a, you won't guess what he says at a minute 58. That's for sure. Well, the, the, the one, I have to read this line because you and I have talked this way, you know, about people confusing native advertising and content marketing. So I did like this. It says, as marketers in, uh, Let's see. Well, hold on. As marketers increase their focus on content marketing, they'll turn to native advertising as a key content distribution strategy in 2007. What I liked about that is there, he's making a distinction, Lana, yes. which I really yes, like because exactly. he's not saying yes. that. Not, I mean, a lot of these articles we get, they interchange content marketing and native advertising. And so we, we, we're talking here about native advertising as a key uh, distribution tool. I like the focus on landing pages. I wanted to talk about that for a bit because I, I don't know if you've seen this, but what I've seen most native advertising programs do, basically, first of all, they're very short-lived. We see them, maybe they'll do it two or three times, so it's more like mini campaigns. But when I see calls to action on native advertising pieces, I almost always see the calls to action going to a product. So going from content to product and I yep. think that's where they're missing out on a lot of the benefits of native advertising because you should be going from content to content. 
Exactly. And that, exactly. Yeah. So I've, I mean, have you seen that? I'm not like just seeing things. No, no, no. You, yes. I've seen it as well. And, and, you know, and I think what you're seeing there is in some cases a desperation of measurement, right? So what you've got is traditional media buyers and traditional agencies that are making these buys on behalf of the brands. And so what they're doing is saying, hey, listen, we'll do this in the exact same way that we've done advertising um, and measure advertising, which of course would go to either a landing page that features the product, a microsite, or some product page deep within the website, or some product-focused video, or whatever it is, some asset that focuses on selling the product as the call to action, and missing the boat completely when it comes to the reason that people are engaging with this content in the first place, which is to get some value out of it, and then hopefully your aim is to steal that audience and pull them into your content and get them more deeply engaged so that they become part of your audience, and and. That's the major takeaway there. I'm, I'm, I'm as as you said. I'm glad he he distinguished those two things, um, and where I you know where I see the quote unquote optimization of landing pages being a trend this year. I'm hopeful that we'll start to see real landing page for content. Right where we're actually pulling people into either a deeper exploration of the content itself that we're talking about in this native advertising piece or a landing page that itself is content and features more content on it. The issue is, and we, I think we talked about it in last week's show where we talked about the number of brands that are not re-upping and they simply just, I mean, the calls to action, that is a problem. But the bigger issue is they're not patient. They're not letting these things get any kind of traction at all. They're not re-upping. So I think that right now everyone is curious whether or not native advertising as a thing is going to continue to grow because there's so many uh, brands out there that tried it and said, hey, it doesn't work. Uh, I didn't see any measure, didn't sell any products off of that one. We ran that twice. What happened? Yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Right. Well, that's exactly it. I mean, they're looking – I mean – you know, you've heard me talk about this in the, you know, in our, in the workshop and, and, and in consulting sessions that we do with clients. But we talk about this all the time is that we tend to, you know, this is the Marshall McLuhan idea of we tend to bring our old perceptions and old eyeballs to new media. Mm-hmm. And so we're doing exactly that with native advertising. We're, I mean, this is, I mean, I wrote two years ago this idea that native advertising was neither. Um, and if we treat, if we continue to treat native advertising as some form of ad unit that is meant solely to advertise our product in a sort of, you know, underhanded or opaque or sort of, you know, massaged with some sort of storytelling content kind of thing, then of course it's going to be a failed operation for us. There's, we've got to look at it like we're using it, as he says in this article, to actually distribute our content, to distribute some portion of our thinking, our thought leadership, our entertainment, our brand journalism, our whatever it is you want to sort of apply to it. It's the idea of being able to syndicate our content for money out to these publishers to leverage the fact that their audience is engaging in their content and we can, you know, use that to have them engage in our content and so on and so forth. We have to look at it with new eyes. You can't look at it through the straight eyes of a media buyer. Well, I think that, I mean, how many times have you heard, oh, we're doing this native advertising program and we're getting all this engagement and people are, right. you know, they're, they're being more influenced by our brand. You know what you could do? You could just measure it by subscriber growth. 
Yeah. How about exactly. that? I mean, <laughs> right. Or or just data back and, and as more, you know, deeper sort of involvement into, I mean, we'll, we'll get to this in just a, in a minute when we talk about another story, but a more immersive customer experience, right? You're using it to draw people into your customer experience. I don't really have an issue with those that are using native advertising to for brand awareness, right? If that's your goal, brand yeah. awareness and greater recall of your brand, God bless you, go do it. But the opportunity is not just a brand awareness exercise. You can put a conversion metric on this. We're just right now using the wrong conversion yeah. metric. Exactly. Exactly. I, yeah. You know, just to wrap this one up, uh, I mean, I, don't get me wrong. There's still a lot of uh, room to run with, you know, so, so-called native advertising sponsored content in many of its forms, if you will. But it's just interesting that, the the lack of patience is killing that whole industry right now. Well, the and, lack of patience is killing marketing. Yes, period. And always, right. and, al- and always has. Yeah. And that's why there's right. the. I mean, you say this very well. It's like not everyone will have a content marketing strategy, but innovative companies will. Right, right. And those are the ones that are a little bit more long term in their thinking. So exactly yeah. as as I've been saying these days, when we're thinking about ROI, return on investment, we have to ask ourselves what kind of investor we're going to be. Are we going to be a day trader or a value investor? And one is a very risky business indeed, and the other takes a long time. Yeah. Pick your poison. That's my favorite thing that you say. I I probably when I'm on interviews, I probably steal that line from you, and I do quote you on it, by the way. But you always say <laughs> ROI. If you want right. some R, you gotta give some I. <laughs> first <laughs> exactly yeah love that there it is all right let's move on to our next story here this one comes courtesy of fast company this was in in the category of i told you so uh, from joe and robert um the uh headline is facebook admits to its a media company um, and launches journalism project by the way big uh, hat tip here to bill jones at d william jones sounds like a football player with that uh, twitter handle so <laughs> hi bill um the fast company article opens up by saying ever since it launched facebook has resisted being described as a media company. Founder and CEO Mark Zuckerberg has insisted instead that the social network is just a platform for ideas, even as its role as a source of news and information has expanded exponentially, with 44% of Americans now getting their news from Facebook. When the fake news controversy erupted in the wake of the election, he continued to insist that he didn't want Facebook to become arbiters of truth, in other words, editors who choose what people should and should not be reading. Then they go on to talk about how they have actually started what they're calling their journalism project, which is exactly that, becoming the arbiters of truth. What say you? Is this? Uh, we talked about this a couple of shows ago, how they were maybe going to get into this business, and now it seems like they really are. I got to tell you, I'm a little torn on this one, Robert. Um, I, 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 have a, I have one of those bad feelings about this. Uh, I, I, let, me, let me go in. I'll go into a little detail. I don't know how far I want to go with this. <laughs> okay. but, but really, <laughs> I really um, it, it, it feels like this is only going to help Facebook, of course, and it's not going to help any of the media partners that are getting in bed with them on this. So well, it's another nail in the coffin of those people, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, you can even sense it. And, and for those of you that read this article, you can, and that's why you can sort of uh, feel I'm a little timid about this. It's a little scary, actually, if you're a media company, because Facebook is inviting you in for the Facebook Journalism Project. And they're going to start doing things like media companies do. But they're really not saying they're not saying they're going all the way. But they say they need help in order to... 
uh, make sure that they're getting the right news out to the people that want that news. They're going to need the media's help. So you have a bunch of people in the media that are coming to them and saying, okay, sure, Facebook, we're going to help you. And I, I really do believe this is setting up for, I don't know when it's going to be, whether that's a year, two years, two weeks, who knows at this point, but that the majority of content at some point is, besides just coming from the users themselves, it's going to be vetted or created in some way by Facebook. I don't know if that's a good thing. I think that Facebook right. becomes, right. in essence, in a in the traditional sense, the largest media company on the planet because they will be creating and curating and editing and vetting all of this content. That's what this tells me. And I don't know, if, am I being too morbid with the thinking? That's that's what I felt when I read this. No, I look at this and I go, the the, the problem isn't really, it, I mean, I just, you know, when I look at this and I go, you know, what is the challenge? It, it is not the, that there are media companies out there sort of surfacing their content through Facebook that is, undermining sort of the accuracy or journalism or all of that. It's people that are doing that. Pe- people are, are, are surfacing these untoward articles and fake news and challenging sort of um, things that are, that are quote unquote polluting Facebook. It's, you know, it's not, you know, those, those companies. And so I don't know the, how this fixes it. I, I you know, in fact, it, it, to your point, I think it could make it worse you know it it because what you've got is you've got facebook putting its thumb on the scales of general media to your point right so there's only a finite number of resources they can put at this i think it put a lot to it for sure but there's only a finite number of resources but that doesn't stop you know john or joe or jill or karen or whoever that wants to put up some you know very ugly post fake news yeah. from russia or ukraine or whatever and have it get shared right and, and yeah. unless they're going to start doing that, if they're going to start censoring users, well, then that's a whole different level of, you know, putting your thumb on the scales. And I think that, you know, I, I mean, I understand why Zuckerberg is really resistant to do this because this is, this is, this is going down a very slippery slope indeed. And, and uh, you know, I, look, I applaud the, the, the theory of this, which is to make it a better, safer, more accurate place to get your information. But man, is that a, is that a hard hill to climb? Well, yeah, you're, you're right about him trying to push this away because this is, this is an issue. So, I mean, like, just so just, just so everybody knows, Facebook Journalism Project, it means that Facebook's going to be collaborating. I'm just going down the list here, collaborating with news organizations on news storytelling formats. Great. That's fine. Supporting local news and independent media, working with them to promote their content and shape what local news on Facebook could look like. That's just like, I'm like, whoa, what does that mean? Does that mean that Facebook's going to underwrite certain content and they're going to cherry pick the ones that become like Facebook favorites and those that aren't? Yes. It's exactly what that means. Yes. So you could you could be oh you got touched by the hand of Facebook and you're in you're in the in the in the cool club and then you got a whole bunch of others on the outside that are trying to figure out how to get in. Um, so they're going to be the arbiters of what makes news and what doesn't. Uh, right, and it and it, and it's one of those things too where you where you look at it because the thing that we talked about, I don't know whether it was last week or a couple of weeks ago, where we you know voiced some concern about this where. Just to your point, what this does from a content marketing perspective, from a brand that's putting out news, 
and or you know whether it's good or not let's assume for the moment that it is that it's good wonderful content marketing brand journalism at its finest it's actually doing the world some service well, a couple of people recognize it as content marketing and start to complain about it because Facebook, you think, is going to have to have some user-generated feedback system, right? Or how's it going? Thumbs up, like or dislike, or yeah. market as fake news, et cetera. All of a sudden, you've got the competition coming in and marking their stuff as fake news. Now it becomes harder for brands to surface their stuff through fake news, so the organic reach goes from zero to like negative. Like You can't even promote the post anymore because, quite frankly, if you promote it, now all of a sudden it's fake news and, and and so on and so on and so forth. This is a real risk to wonderful content from brands emerging into the Facebook ecosystem. Yeah, did you read the book uh, 1984? <laughs> yes. Exactly. yes. I'm not yeah. sure we're quite that far yet, but yes. Oh, I, I, you <laughs> uh, open your eyes, my friend. We are in the okay. middle of that book. We're like a, we're, we're like at one third of the way through that book so far. If you, uh, okay. you really want to get into it, no, I mean just <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit negative today. I shouldn't be. I should be happy, but yeah, I, I'm the one who should yeah, be negative should today. Be the other way around. Uh, yeah, I will, I will. You just won an award. For, you just won the like Hall of Fame award, and I just lost the biggest game ever. <laughs> and you're the one that's like in a bad mood. I think that we know the experts out there that are saying, look, you got to give up. You got Facebook one, publish on Facebook, learn how to, whatever they're going to do with their algorithm and, and this journalism project and just figure it out. But I really do believe that now is the time for, for everyone listening to this. We've got to have people that fight against this. Not to say you can't use Facebook. I'm not saying that at all, but it is more important than ever for us to have our own platforms. More important than ever. It may be harder to do that, but I think we have to yeah. do that. And uh, just for this reason, because at some point, I don't want somebody saying, well, my content can't get through. I mean, it's the opposite of why the internet was is there for us in the first place. So Exactly. Exactly. There you go. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> yeah. Take that, Facebook. <laughs> take that. Yeah. Take that. Take it near 1.7 billion users and just, exactly. just go, go home. All right. Well, so segueing nicely for that um, is something on native advertising and actually and content marketing of some kind. This comes courtesy of foliomag.com. Uh, great publication, by the way, if you haven't read it recently. The headline here is Star Drops Slim Fast Ads Following Better Business Bureau Challenge. And this one, this was an interesting article. Um, the article opens up by saying American Media Inc. has agreed to discontinue certain advertisements that ran in weekly celebrity magazine Star amid claims that they don't live up to industry transparency standards. In response to a complaint filed by the Better Business Bureau's National Advertising Division, the NAD, for those of you who are <laughs> keeping score, AMI announced that it will no longer run slim-fast advertisements in Star using a format considered by the NAD to be insufficiently differentiated from editorial content misleading leading readers. The article then goes on to describe uh, what the misleading uh, the readers was all about, and then is updated at the end by saying that AMI, who publishes um, American Media Inc., who publishes The Star, basically corrected them and saying, look, we pulled the Slim Fast ads after a challenge from the BBB, uh, that we didn't do that at all. What we did was we just basically didn't run it again. Um, basically, we didn't discontinue it. We just, at the, ran, the run of the ad ended, and we didn't renew it. So that's what it's all about. What do you, is this a, 
is this a big kerfuffle over nothing, Joe, or is this something where we're starting to see publishers really start to get in trouble for what they're running in the way of, of native ads? I just think, first of all, I think the whole thing about editorial content and star magazine is right. funny I mean, to me. That, well, that's, that's <laughs> why I picked this was because right. The, the irony here is, is pretty funny is, is that this is coming from like somebody went, this content is outrageous. Let's use this <laughs> you know? one as the, yeah, of all the ones you could pick, let's pick star right. magazine and make feel, an example out of them. Um, I feel duped by star magazine. Well, so the second point here, what did you, <laughs> this is? Yeah, this is terrible. This can't be. Yeah, this Jessica and Justin divorce shocker. I'm like really exactly about this. Uh, did you know that the BBB had a national advertising division? I did not. I, I didn't I, know this that is the either. First time ever hearing that. Yes, exactly. They even have the acronym NAD. Like yeah, you know, like NORAD. Yeah. Well, like it's not like right, NORAD. It's NAD. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it just is weird. The whole thing is weird to me. Uh, no, I do have a, a little take on this. It for those of you, you got to actually look and see it. The, the big issue I think that they have is they have it called out on the cover of the print magazine first of all, and it does look like an editorial feature, and they're absolutely pushing an ad with it. That's right. It doesn't That's look right. at all like an ad. It looks like st- snack away the weight. Joanne lost 40 pounds, and there's a little slim fast there. So that, and then, I, I don't know, did you go to the actual article, the Star article? I did. Yeah, I did. So, Sadly, well, I did. <laughs> from, from what I can gather, it they didn't have the sponsored content labeled on it initially. And then they put it on, correct? That's right. Yes. That's that's what I can glean from it, yeah, is that they did exactly that. They didn't have it, and then they put it on it, and it, and even then it wasn't very clear. Um, now so. it's highlighted in yellow at the yeah, top. Exactly. <laughs> and it says sponsored I, you know, content. Yeah. I, I look at this as, you know, one of the things that we talked about about, I don't know, 30 shows ago when this started to become a thing, this whole native advertising stuff, we talked about that what transparency was going to be was going to be in the eye of the beholder and there was going to be a spectrum across publications, right? We said, look, there's a different standard of transparency about sponsored content when you're the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or when you're, and we, I think we even said like People Magazine and like Star Magazine. National Enquirer. There's a different, right. There's a different level of spectrum in terms of one what gets advertised um and two what you know is going to be in the eye of the beholder over what you know what you actually do here and so you know i i i look at this and go i don't know whether this is the bbb basically having like a bad breakfast sandwich or something and deciding that they were going to go after somebody on tuesday or whether or not this is you know something where it's a little bit of a canary in the coal mine where we, we're going to see more and more of this. To me, I looked at this and I went, I, I, I can't see why everybody is so upset about this. Well, the wasn't the last one we talked about where the FTC came down on the client? Yeah, there was a right, exactly. They came down on the client. This is the first time, I guess, where they're saying that they're coming down, or it's rare that they actually come down on the publisher. The last time we talked about this was a Instagram campaign, I think, where there was no indication that it was a paid for campaign 
by the brand and the publisher um, was, uh, and it was the client that actually yeah, got in trouble for that's this. That's right, the client. So you had the FTC in it. Now you've got the Better Business Bureau in, involved in it, and you've got one. You got sanctions coming down. One on the client, and the second one was here on the publisher. So, but but let's. I mean, obviously, let's. Most of our audience are brand marketers, so let's go about it from that perspective. Just make sure that the publisher you're working with uses something that says it's paid content, advertorial, sponsored content, so to, right. to protect you. Of course, we would like it to go out so it looks just like editorial so people won't know the difference. But really, let's go out and say, yes, it, this is something that we paid for. Be proud of it. Uh, that you're putting forward, you know, you're paying for that space that it's really good content that you want to get in front of that audience. <laughs> That's the whole point, right? That's the whole point. It's like there is no benefit to you to not make it abundantly clear that this is a paid for spot. You make it abundantly clear because it's good for you and it's good for the client. If you're slim fast, I'm sure you're looking at that saying, oh my gosh, it looks just like every other piece of content. This is fantastic. Uh, you got to be careful because the next time they're going to come after you. Exactly. And you're going to get the fine as for every instance, at least in this article, says it's $16,000 per instance. And if you really look, I mean... They, they could get you for a lot of instances, depending on how they looked at it. Um, so <laughs> be careful with that one if you're yes. going to do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, speaking of instances, but I guess we're okay here because in this instance, we're actually advertising ourselves. We have a, a, a wonderful sponsor to talk about for the, I think, the last time. I mean, the last time, yeah. We've got, we've got new sponsors rolling up for the 2017 year. So we got to make this one a good one. Remind yeah. you. Content Marketing Institute has many. Oh, this is, by the way, is this, do I have to say it's a sponsored? Do I have to say this is sponsored? Just make it abundantly clear that this, this is, is a the sponsored segment. This of the is show. the promotional part of the episode. If this, <laughs> if, if, if you're <laughs> going to be emotionally damaged music. <laughs> by listening to this, please fast forward at 30 seconds. All right. Intelligent Content Conference coming up March 28th to 30th, 2017, Las Vegas. Use PNR100, that's PNR100, for $100 off, intelligentcontentconference.com. I'm getting really excited about this, Robert. You know, you and I have worked very hard on this agenda. You're going to be inter interviewing Fran Lebowitz. We've got IBM Watson there. We've got PayPal there. We've got uh, 3M that's presenting. Uh, we've got PayPal. Did I say PayPal? What are, we, what are the other ones we got? I think Intel is going to be there. We've got... Oh, uh, we've got lots of brands with really cool things going on in machine learning, artificial intelligence. And the only thing I'll say is, is that if you really care about your content strategy, you're going to want to be there. It's going to be a great event. Uh, we've got a lot of people signing up. We've got our content tech virtual event. It's free. February 22nd, 2017. We have a full day of webinars all about content marketing technology. You're not going to want to miss this. It's absolutely free. Go to contentmarketinginstitute.com slash events to get uh, subscribed to that, register for that one. And then, of course, the big show, Content Marketing World 2017, September 5th through 8th, 2017 in Cleveland, Ohio. And really looking forward to that one. Go to contentmarketingworld.com. We're expecting over 4,000 people from 70 countries this year for our Amazing. little event that is the largest content marketing event in the world. That's why Absolutely. it's called the Content Marketing World. Did you know that? It, it, well, I do know that. And I also know that now, if you needed any other reason to come... 
to Cleveland because you can make a quick trip down to Sandusky <laughs> to see the wonderful <laughs> Hall of Fame in Joe Polizzi's high school. Check out the, the beautiful trophy of Joe Polizzi in his high school. Hall. Okay, I, just a little side note on this because I thought it was so interesting. <laughs> so you walk down the hall of St. Mary's Central Catholic, my high school. You walk down the hall and all the Hall of Fame people are there. So I saw my grandpa's picture. It was great. They oh, mostly awesome. use... Their uh, their sports picture or a picture of them from high school, so, right. so going all the way so down. What did they use for you? So everybody's that, and then you come to me. You know what? It's me on stage with a microphone. That's at me. Content Marketing World. No, it wasn't. It was at uh, I think it was the Marketing Profs. That the that the one is, I don't <laughs> know what awesome. it is, but it's so me. it's not even CM. It's not World. even CM World, but it's me. But it's just weird. That everybody else is sort of doing sports. I mean, I got in for professional reasons, but also because of athletics. Nobody remembers that. They don't remember my killer two years of tennis. There you yeah. go. <laughs> Nerd. Oh. No, my dad told the story. I'm gonna people are gonna hate this episode because I'm talking about myself. But my dad told the story that when I won my district finals match in uh, this was my senior year. The person who I played against was much better than me, and he would fire it at me, forehand, backhand, and I would just dink it over the net. Dink, dink, because that's <laughs> I was a total defensive player. And right. the the player threw his racket at me not once, but twice, because he was so frustrated at me, and I won that. And my dad told <laughs> nice. that story. so And you won? I won, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I nice. smiled yeah. every time. I said, throw it again, buddy. I'm right yeah. here. <laughs> defense wins championships oh, absolutely yeah yeah you're right every time every go okay ladies and gentlemen it is now time for your favorite part of the show this is our rants and rave section when joe and i go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave that makes us feel like we're unwrapping a problem and there's a gift inside or that we're unwrapping a gift and we find a giant problem inside um and so uh, i am going first because i have this old marketing this week absolutely um so i have let's see i have two i guess you'd call them rants they're more commentaries than anything else um so last week and the week before so i sort of dutifully patted myself on the back and about my prediction around the agency buying publisher or media company for the new year. And Hey, there we go. And we, we watched, um, uh, Vayner media, Gary Vaynerchuk's company buy a media company they bought pure. Wow. Um, which is a, uh, a media company. And, and then they set up a separate company. And then there's an article this week actually that talked about it. Right. So of course you get your news here first on PNR, <laughs> but, but at age actually covered it and said, agency buys publisher. Is this a turnabout? or a latest trend. And here's, I guess, I don't know if it's a rant, but really maybe a little rant light maybe. Because the article starts out by saying, publishers like Vice and the New York Times have increasingly encroached in agencies advertising and custom content business but VaynerMedia did the reverse and basically bought Pure Wow um, and set up the thing. And what they go through in the article is they sort of walk through all these quotes by people from law firms and from ad agencies, and you know some of them say, yes, this is going to become a trend, and others say, no, it's not going to become a trend. The part that I'm, I want to just comment on is the reason why they're saying that it's not going to be a trend. Um, and the, the one point that they make here is that the, I don't think there's going to be a lot of acquisitions going on in this market, says the uh, managing a partner at an investment bank, because he says large publishers are unaffordable. And I just want to debunk that right away. For any of you who are reading this and saying, yeah, right, you know, media companies, media companies are not expensive. 
not when you're talking in the same kind of dollars that you're using for ad budgets, media budgets, and those kinds of things. And in fact, media companies are cheap in comparison. Oh, absolutely. And so... And so don't believe that. that you know, it may or may not happen. It may or may not become a big thing. But it will not be because media companies are expensive and overpriced um, and they're unaffordable. It will be because we, don't, you know, we can't convince those that might make those acquisitions the fact that these media companies actually may help the business. That will be the reason this doesn't become a trend, not because agencies couldn't afford them if they, if they wanted to. That's, so I just wanted to comment on oh, that. Yeah, well, yeah, actually, just a, a take on that. Uh, yeah. what, what's the last time? Let's use, I like using Apple because I know their numbers. I think they have something like $150, $160 billion in cash. In the cash, in the bank. You know how yes. many media companies they could buy with that? Almost oh, all of them. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's Almost like, it's not even just one. Single We're going to buy right. all the media companies. Yay. Right. They, right. They could buy Disney. They're not going to, but, they're, but they could buy, per Joe Polizzi, they could buy Actually, Disney if they wanted to. You know why? I mean, we haven't talked about that in the news, but you heard the whole thing about Apple's going to create their own content. They're going up against... I did. I did. Yeah, you know, it would really make sense if they bought Disney. Yeah, it would, but they're not going to, just so you know. Folks, it's going to happen. It's just, you're just in denial, my friend. It's going to happen. It's a river in Africa. It's a river in Africa. That's where I am. Um, All right, so quickly, my second one, which is um, an article that we will put in the show notes um, from Marketing Week. And this is something that I just want to call everybody's attention to since we're at the beginning of the year. And I think it's something that's just really interesting and not getting a lot of play here. The article that we'll link to, the headline is, New Online Ad Laws Put the Future of the Web in Danger. And the article opens up by saying, online advertisers face stricter rules on how they track people across the web and target advertising as the European Union um, looks to reinforce online privacy. And what they're talking about here um, is a new law that went into effect, and there's a grace period here called the GDPR, um, which is all about advertising. And I won't go off on a rant necessarily on the GDPR, but just to very quickly tell you what it is, it is a new law that you have a grace period until May of 2018 when it starts to go into effect where... It's a regulation now, not just limited to European companies, but if you sell to anybody who lives in Europe, it is a European citizen law that protects their data. So it affects you whether you're a B2B marketer, whether you're a B2C marketer, whether you're, you know, your company, if your company is at all global, it is going to affect the way that you use data because it's going to make you do things where you're going to have to re-strategize what you're doing here. And in other words, the way you collect data, you're going to have to do things like provide for the ability to be un, to be forgotten. Basically, if a, if a consumer says, I need you to erase all my data, you have to have the capability to be able to do that. What this article talks about in talking about these new laws are all of the things that are sort of getting whitewashed over. Um, and what they're talking about here is saying, hey, yeah, there's IAB is fighting this because, you know, and of course the IAB is fighting this because it's really bad for advertising. It's really bad for programmatic. It's really bad for tracking. It's actually in a really interesting way, which I won't go into details here, I think really good for content marketing because it means that people want to give you their data and that they're, they're opting in to re- giving you data in exchange for value. So it's yet another reason content marketing should actually drive something here. What I want to rant on is, is that this article is a little bit of a whitewash here, and it's we need to be paying attention to it. We've now, CMI and me, 
we've started a you know we started providing some on some learning on this you're going to see a lot more content coming out from us on this we're going to develop a workshop uh we have on this to be able to deliver education on why this is going to become a big thing because we have basically a year left before this is going to become something in europe and here in the states that we have to pay attention to with content and marketing so there you have it oh thank you that's a great thing to remind our listeners about so i'm glad you're you're doing all that. Do you need help with that? <clears throat> Thank you. I'm, I'm glad you don't. <laughs> but keep me posted, my I friend. Do, I do have help on that, and it's uh, yeah, it's going well. It's it's a big thing. It's going to become a big thing, and so very yeah, I'll very. Keep good. You, I'll keep you abreast. I'm sure you will. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, so my, uh, do you like um, do you do you like red soda? Like I do not. Okay, I do not like red soda. Do you, by never, the way, do you call it red pop it. or red soda? It would be red soda okay. for me. So yeah. I grew I'm, I grew up in yeah. the Midwest and we called it red yeah, pop. Anyways. Pop. Yep. So I I got this email from somebody talking about this great big red program. So if you don't know big red, it's it's red soda pop. Uh you know, if you like I grew up with Cherokee red and then also big red, so um a very you know popular red soda maker. And I did I didn't even realize they have um they have big red zero, big blue and Big Red Vanilla Float as well. I've got to go try all those, by the way, because I think it's fantastic. Nice. So they send this great program, and I'm reading into it. And most of it's a sweepstakes. It's a, comp- it's, it's a contest, and I get that. But basically, the whole idea is Big Red is associating themselves with barbecue. They did this last summer, focusing, they're working on um, how you can make barbecue better by incorporating um, some education as well as a little bit of Big Red. And they started to do some classes in coordination with Weber Grill as well as uh, some Kroger outlets. And so you get the Weber Mobile Grill Academy together, and they did these 25 Five Steps to Burger Brilliance classes, and they created some content online about it, and they, of course, incorporated some some Big Red Soda recipes in that, but it was really successful over the program. Sales increased 16% in dollars, and uh, unit volume at those stores increased 20%, so they hit some really, really good numbers, and I went to check it out. I was like, this is interesting. I wonder if they're going to continue this. Well, you go to the site, Robert. And you know what you get? You go to this site and it says, 100 Days of Barbecue. Thanks for playing. This promotion is no longer oh, open. No. Thanks for enjoying oh, no. 100 Days of Barbecue. I can't get anything. I can't get a piece of content. I can't get more information. I can't get education on the classes. Nothing. All I see is the prizes I could have won and it's over. And I'm just like shaking my head. You know where this is going, right? I'm just like, are you kidding me that you couldn't continue? And by the way, I have no problem with the sweepstakes idea. But it seems like they were on to something. I actually did a little bit more research. And there were some, I don't know if they were influencers, but there were bloggers out there that were talking about the recipes. And they were going through about the recipes that you could have about the special barbecue sauce mixed in, in Big Red. And it made the barbecue that much better. And the burgers. And I'm like... This this could be something. I mean, they could have found something and where where red uh, big red is relevant to this whole barbecue theme and people that like to barbecue. But alas, my friend, I get a bri- a big go somewhere else when I go to the site here on a hundred days of barbecue. And I guess I would just like to say I don't. You could have kicked this off 
with 100 Days of Barbecue with the idea that if it was successful and it took on some resonance, that we would continue the program and have some kind of a platform where people could get recipes and learn more about barbecuing and maybe this unique style of, of you know, cooking, grilling the burgers in a certain way. And it just made me sad. That's yeah, so. it's it's so funny. Well, yeah, and you know what? It's a, you know, it's. I mean, going back to the something we talked about earlier in this show, it's it's just another example of how because this is a, a a grocery and a food company, right? Where they live and breathe and have lived and breathed or breathed or whatever the past yeah. tense of breathe is, and in promotions. And so it's all driven out of promotions, and promotions by their very definition are small, very focused campaigns, a hundred days, right? So they, they looked at this as a, I'm, I'm guessing, I'm, but I'm, I have a pretty good guess here that they looked at this as a summertime, you know, yep. the, the three months of summer, the hundred days of summer. And here we go. We're going to do this during summer. We'll measure the results. And, and maybe, you know, they've got it sealed away. There's a folder on somebody's desktop that they're ready to do it again this year. But to your point, they could have turned this into a 24-7, 365 resource center that not only drives today, but drives, you know, the, the hundred days that come after the hundred days of summer. And, and you know, anyway, just think I, of, I, agree. I mean, totally I'm, sad, I'm just yeah. I mean, we don't know. Right. I don't know. I've never right. worked in the food. In, I mean, I, I did work in convenient food mark for years and my, I did work in a restaurant, but I don't have a ton of food experience. What if this took off? You have a whole line of big red barbecue sauces that you could have. You could have. I mean, there's a there's a number of new products that you could have if this thing really took off. And there were, it was that oh association. God, there's, a book, there's a book here. There's a book it's here. A there's book. a there's a point of purchase display with a magazine. There's a there's an article. There's a native advertising oh campaign. My there's gosh, a, I mean, I'm just like a, what? A there's lost... a subscriber. There's a blog. There's a there, then it goes off into a different direction because it doesn't have to just be about barbecue. We can talk about macaroni and cheese with Big Red, you know. And it's just, I mean, yes, there's a lot. There's a lot here. Well, it's the, it comes back to the same thing. And you and I are obviously working on the book, but a lot of the opening of the book that you and I are working on is sometimes we hurt ourselves because we think we know marketing. And yeah, if we just stepped exactly back right. a little bit and looked at it differently <clears throat> and saw it from a different perspective, uh, like let's say a publishing perspective, if you will, or the the audience's perspective, probably the best way to look at it, we would never do the things we're doing in marketing. So That's right. That's right. But alas. That's a good one. That's a good yeah, one. I liked it. I liked it. But I'm not drinking yeah. Big Red until they do this full time. <laughs> you got to give. You got to give to get, Big Red. I'm right here. I'm ready. Until then, I'm drinking Cherokee Red. All right. Uh, well, we have a we, we have a wonderful this old marketing. Oh, great! I want to hear about it. Um, and so this one, this is another one of my favorites. So this one, this one's going to rival um, uh, the Furrow in its age, um, and uh, it, it's it it's a really interesting one that I came across over the last week here. It's called Vic's Garden and Floral Guide. And what I want to highlight here is not necessarily the publication, which I will we'll certainly talk about, but I want to highlight the person. Because in your book, Content Inc., which is an amazing book, by the way, folks, if you have not read it, where Joe basically reverse engineers all of these wonderful startup companies that basically started by building an audience on a platform and then figured out what we could sell them. Um, this guy, James Vic, is exactly that. 
he reminds me a lot of like, you know, Brian over a copy blogger or, you know, any of the entrepreneurs that you really talk about it. He is a content ink entrepreneur. So I want to highlight him more than the publication here because he really in this is 1818. Um, he's creating an audience first and then figured out what he could sell them. So, so this James Vick guy, he was born in 1818, and then um, he went into the printing trade. He got into printing uh, magazines and newspapers. And so in, uh, when he got into that, he started uh, as a writer and an editor, maybe like you. I don't know that he got into the Sandusky Hall of Fame oh, in his high on. school, but, but <laughs> he basically was a writer and editor, and he became a publisher in 1855. And so he started down this road of becoming a publisher as his career. What then he figured out was he, he, he was also, and one of his passions was growing flowers. And basically he thought he could start a business. Well, he started a magazine. He bought basically a magazine called the Horticulturist, moved it to Rochester in 1853. And it was a magazine devoted to horticulture and floriculture and landscape and gardening and rural architecture and basically all these wonderful things. And what he figured out was he had this audience. He could start to sell them products. And so he started to sell seeds and products that helped people grow flowers and make gardens and stuff. And so he he started by publishing all of these different things. He published a book called The Rural Annual and Horticultural Directory, um, which was the, uh, in the front of it. It was all these how-tos and, um, and where you could find resources to help you with your gardens and all this kind of stuff. And then as a subscriber, he started to offer out products and seeds. And then he started this 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 company or excuse me this initiative called the Floral Guide and Catalog, which would ultimately become what we what we know of today. That ran for sixty years. Sixty years. This magazine first started in eighteen sixty two. The Floral Guides was not only sort of a beautiful rendering of all these flowers and all of these things that you could grow in your garden, but then of course you started to want to do it yourself. And so he had how tos and instructionals and all that in these in these uh, guides that he would send out. He basically had 150,000 subscribers at one point, and he was basically selling the, not only through this audience, he was selling basically the ability for you to do this. So his seed business grew. He started to sell seeds and the ability and tools and all these kinds of things that you could then use because you were such a fan of, of horticulture. And when he started the Illustrated Monthly, he basically started to sell the magazine itself because that started to become a product too. He could start selling the magazine by subscription. So he was funding his own marketing of basically sending people catalogs for what you might want to do from a seed perspective. And then, of course, you would buy the seeds directly from him. He basically ran this until 1909. Um, and then uh, ultimately became acquired. His company was acquired by the Burpee Seed Company, which of course is still around today, um, and uh, and was an extremely successful acquisition. For so he was a content marketer first that began by publishing and creating this audience, and then figured out that he could sell them all these seeds and tools and stuff to help them with the passion that he had, which of course was um, you know growing flowers and growing stuff in his garden. Just a wonderful example of this old. That's marketing. brilliant. That is, where did you find that? I found it in this, I started, so I, I was going down this rat hole of the thing that we talked about last week with all these magazines. Um, and I found this white paper written in the 1930s that was talking about this guy as one of the original 
publishers that um, started to use, you know, what we call a house organ or an internal magazine. Um, And this guy started with that. And when I started and then I I started looking up his biography and what we'll link to in the show notes is this sort of biography of this guy, James Vick. And it just reads like a case study of content marketing. It reads like it's a it reads like it came out of Content Inc. It's just a wonderful, cool thing. Fantastic. And I know where you're going to be this week. Yes, we're going to be together recording together the wonderful, again. wonderful CMI University. Yeah, yes, so I'm, it's I'm that time again. To it. It's going to be fun. The team is very excited that you're coming into town. So I can't wait. Oh. I can't wait to see everybody. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be grand to kick off the new year with uh, recording CMI University and seeing the whole whole team. And you? But you know, I will be accepting you into Northeast Ohio. <laughs> we are going to roll out the orange carpet for you, you know, because nice. you got to make it nice because you know you're from LA, so you've got these lofty expectations and everything's yes. just smell a certain right. way. And I'm going to try to bring in the smog. It's going to be hard, okay, but I'm going to do the best I can. All right. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Well, and you have to treat me extra special and nice since my team just lost too. So. I oh, I know exactly how you feel. Unfortunately, we've had that happen last, <laughs> last month. We've had. You and I have uh, have not had great sports uh, happen. No. but that's okay. No, that's okay. That's okay. Always, there is next year. Always next year. That's yeah. there is next year. Yeah, we we know and, that in Cleveland. And, that's for sure. Exactly, and we know it here in LA yeah. too. So, um, and and for other of you, we have next week um, because that's it for Joe Polizzi and I'm Robert Rose, and we're signing off. And if you like this episode. Um, where Joe got into the Hall of Fame, number 166. Won't you leave us a kind review on iTunes? We love those iTunes reviews. They help us promote the show and all of that. And if you haven't yet, consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com or your favorite podcatcher. And when you leave us a review or if you subscribe, leave us a a note, won't you? Hashtag us up on that uh, Twitter thing. Hashtag This Old Marketing. We'd love to thank you personally for that. And of course, story ideas, story ideas for This Old Marketing and This Old Marketing examples. You can also Tweet us up on hashtag this old marketing and let us know. Or if you've got a question or if you want to send in a story idea, you can also email us at thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. All the links we talked about today will be available in the show notes that are available on the show as we publish on Monday night and in the show post that in all its glory uh, that will happen at thisoldmarketing.com on Saturdays. Until next week, everybody, remember, it is your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.